0: So it's Thursday night, and I'm sitting in this chair, right? Because I'm here for the Lenten services that Eric's putting on. And I was about two minutes late because we had uh, we did this thing called supper at home. And um, so that was good. And um, so I'm sitting here, and the room's totally dark, right? Room's totally dark. Candles up on the stage. Cross um, lit by a single spot. Some of you might wonder, where is the cross today? Which is an excellent question. We should always ask that. Where is the cross in our lives? Where is the cross? At any rate, so I'm sitting here getting centered, okay? And, and Eric's reading us through scripture and, 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 and words from, from the ancients. And, and, and at first, I have this intense sensation, and I think it's the Holy Spirit. But I actually realize my lips are burning because we had had this spicy Korean barbecue tacos, which I understand is a unique combination, tacos, Mexican vibe, Korean barbecue, not a Mexican vibe. But as the kids would say, bueno. Caliente. I think the kids would say that, wouldn't they? Something. No? Mucho? Mucho? Caliente? I thought bueno was good. It is. Good hot. <laughs> yeah, it was a good hot. <laughs> I am tell you at any rate, okay, so so I'm sitting there, right? And and I'm having a whole bunch of cool thoughts and 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 just focusing on the season. And and we just basically sat in this really cool vibe. You can still grab the last one on April 6th. And and, and I have this thought, a number of thoughts. Do I love Jesus? How much do you think about where you live? I didn't think a lot about where I lived growing up because there really wasn't many options for where I would live and us moving because our house was right next to our business. They were actually attached. Bill Sportsman Service, Aiken, Minnesota, been in business since the 60s. Um, And so uh, that's six decades for a family-run business. Not a bad run you ever sliding through Aiken east side of town out past the Dairy Queen across from McDonald's of course when I was there McDonald's wasn't there at any rate so so there was just no option about where we would live Tanya on the other hand her family thought a lot about where they would live and they would go to parade of home things my family when my dad was a young kid the first home that he had oh I'm sorry just I got to do something here quick in the first service I was criticized because my shoes weren't polished quite enough and so I want to make sure that I don't offend anyone else. The first home that my dad lived in was actually a tent near Winthrop, Minnesota. Some of you know the story that my great-great-great-grandmother was a stowaway on a freighter from Poland. Um, She was an illegal immigrant coming to the United States, and eventually my family ends up near Winthrop, Minnesota, and my dad's first home was a tent. I have a picture of it, him as a little guy outside the tent with my grandma and my grandfather who wasn't a nice guy at all. At any rate, that was my dad's first home, and my first home east of Aiken at the shop, our first home. So Tanya and me, our first home, what you could argue is 4328 York Avenue South, that's the first place that we lived, but really our first home was 2800 Westview Drive, New Prague, Minnesota. Cute little prairie style thing and um, we were able to build it with the help of a contractor that uh, attended the church that we were actually working at at the time. So in preparation for the building process, Tanya was well-schooled. Her dad had taken her as a young girl to Parade of Homes and a love for all things architecture and land and building and location. And so we went on this grand tour of Homes, Parade of Homes, for years before we actually built the house. One home in particular was out in Afton, Minnesota. I believe it was a life dream house or something like that. And we walk in and it immediately fits our vibe, okay? We feel at home, we feel comfortable. There's a little Sasanka influence with the place that, uh, you know, the smaller footprint, higher quality materials, lots of intimate places where you could curl up with a book, a lot of windows so you can see out. Windows make a place psychologically pleasing. So if you tone out uh, through my sermon, you can look and see cool trees behind us, which is just one of the best things that we did in this room. And so, so yeah, so, so this room, this house, this place is so cool. And Tanya says, I really, I really like this place, which makes me think I should do something. So I go wandering around and I find that the downstairs to the basement door is unlocked. And I figured if they didn't want me in the basement, they would have locked the door. So I went downstairs and I'm rummaging around there and I discover a copy of the main floor uh, blueprint, okay? And it's the paint schematic that the painters would have used to know which walls to color which specific color. And I figure if they didn't want me to have the blueprint, they wouldn't have left it in the basement with an unlocked door. And besides, on top of that, the place is already painted, so the painters are done using this. Now, in retrospect, it might have been a tad wrong. And the hint that it might have been a tad wrong would be when I folded it into force and stuck it in the front of my, pulled my shirt over the top. It's kind of a clue. When you have to conceal something from someone else, you might be doing something that's wrong. But at the time, I had a greater priority, my wife's needs and this floor plan. And so we get out to the car, and Tanya's like, wow, I really like that place. And I'm like, <laughs> How much do you think about where you live? Page 1041, bottom of part of column 1, verse 9, chapter 21, Revelation. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 140-foot cubits, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel, The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Now, some initial thoughts. We have this list of, of, of jewels that are used, and if we're looking for a hint as to where this comes from, make no mistake, this building by Bulgari comes out of or is influenced by some pretty key texts in the Old Testament. Specifically, Exodus 28 and Exodus 39, where we basically see the same list of jewels that are adorning a chest piece that the high priest would enter, that he would wear rather, before he entered the holiest of holies. Now these 12 gates and these 12 foundations and these 12 stones and these 12,000 stadia are a play on, obviously, the number 12 or a multiple thereof. But more important than the 12 representative of the tribes of Israel and the apostles, the people of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is this uh, significance that the structure is a cube. And again, if we're looking for influence, we go back to 1 Kings 6.20, in which another place was described as a cube, the holiest of holies, the meeting place of God and his people. The color palette shows a strong point of view, and the editorial eye is for the absolute best. This is luxurious living, and for those of you who appreciate green space, don't worry. Did you ever pull up to a parade of home and the landscaping wasn't done, and you're like, come on, you've got to get the landscaping done, otherwise the home doesn't look finished. Don't worry, God didn't forget to landscape, we'll just get to that next week. I always thought when people sold homes, why they didn't do something to make the home more memorable. I know the conventional wisdom from real estate agents is that you should paint the, the house beige on the inside or, or some off-white so that a new couple could imagine their colors going up on the walls and those types of things. And, and I understand that. I even get that a little bit. But, but say that you're looking at 10 homes in one day. What's going to make your home stand out? So I think it would be a phenomenal idea. And any of you who are in the building trades or or in real estate, you can use my idea that I'm about to give you for free. For free. It's just free. Take the downstairs powder room. Paint it bright yellow with white polka dots. No one would like that, right? Completely agree. But it'll make it memorable. At the end of the day, when you've gone through a list of ten homes and you're thinking to your spouse, what was that one home that we really, really liked? There was some, oh, the Rome, the powder room, the the bright yellow home with the white polka dots. Yeah, we'd have to repaint the powder room, but that was, man, was that a memorable place. That's what we have going on here today. A description in which John is being shown not just a dream hose, but the place where God and the people of God will reside for eternity. To be fair, like most of Revelation, it is wonderfully figurative. And at times, not exactly understandable. If you attempted to build this structure with the information that you've been given, you'd probably be hard-pressed to execute It's also reflective of a number of texts from books like Exodus and Kings. And the numbers, the factor of 12, is used repeatedly to reflect that this is a complete picture of the people of God throughout the ages, whether you're more of an Old Testament guy or whether you're more of a New Testament gal. True Israel and the true church who have followed God Dimensions are given, and dimensions in Revelation and the Bible are very important because you measure what you value and you measure what you protect. Dimensions that are given to reflect that protection and intentionality. It is a future home in every sense of the word with a strong nod to the past. The jewels, besides being a reflection of beauty, would also call into mind the jewelry worn by the high priest. And it's all laid out to John in this incredible vision that he experiences while he is in the Spirit. Laid out to John and retold to us or anyone who would read or listen. And like A bright yellow bathroom with white polka dots? I think it's designed to create a lasting memory. It's a picture of a place that is beyond description, really. The intentionality that has gone into this structure, the beauty of this, it is opulent. It is extravagant. It reflects the very best of a God who loves and provides a place for those who have said yes to his gift, yes to following his son. The text goes on, verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light A series of no's. No temple, no sun, no closing time, no night, no bad guys. No temple. The reality is that God is with his people, a spiritual reality that moves beyond bricks and mortars. No sun, this is better than any LED and will last for an eternity. No closing time. The gates always stay open. You have to understand that in the ancient Near Eastern world, gates are an important but defensive tool used by a city to protect, it, protect itself. You would close the gates at night to keep the bad guys out. Here, there's no closing time because there's no night. Also, there's no bad guys. No night, think Alaska in the summertime. If you are in Minnesota during this time of the year and you get a little funky in your brain because there hasn't been enough light, too much darkness, too much night, this is the place for you. If for no other reason, if your brain gets just a little bit weird, which happens to some of us, this is going to be where you want to be for the rest of your life. No shortage of vitamin D. And no bad guys. It's like Singapore year-round you've ever been to Singapore, you land, you come off your plane, almost immediately before you clear customs, there's a sign that basically says, we kill drug traffickers. Now, they say it a little bit nicer than that, but not much. They let you know that if you're going to come into their island nation with the intent to do harm to its people, they will kill you on the spot. Well, not quite. I'm exaggerating a little bit. But there's no bad guys. More than a series of negatives, here is a picture in which God is described as everything. In which God reveals himself in his totality, over eternity, to his redeemed people. You and I, if we are in Christ, so that nothing else is needed. It's a challenging thought for us because we have a lot of stuff on our own. We have a sense of security in what we are able to do on our own. But the reality exists. We are moving to a place that John describes in which God is everything. And our current position is one in which the Bible affirms again and again and again, prepare for this day. Make God the most important thing in your life. Make God the source for all that you pursue. The text concludes in verse 27b that this is a place for those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Again, we come back to the importance of being in this book. Being in the Lamb's book of life. We describe it a bunch of different ways at Timberwood Church. Being in Christ. Certainly for some of us, there may have been a point in our lives when we made a decision to follow Jesus, where we said, Jesus, I want you as my Savior, I want you as my Lord, forgive my sin, allow me to be in relationship with you. You, you made a decision. Other of us have confessed, like Romans 10 suggests, that we should confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord And for some of us, it's a a simple exclamation, like the thief on the cross, seconds away from dying. He says to Jesus, dying next to him, remember me. And Jesus, recognizing the condition of a heart that is willing to be led, says, today you will be with me in paradise. A couple weeks ago, I challenged you to check out First John 5, verses 10, 11, 12, and 13, in which John, also the author of this book, writes that we can be confident but not arrogant that our names are in this book. John writes, I, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life and that this life is in Jesus. If there's one thing that is absolutely critical for us as we look to this picture of this place, it is this reality of being in this book, in the book of life. And so I think about that question I thought about last Tuesday night. Do I love Jesus enough? Probably not. Does God love me enough? (laughs) More than I can imagine. If I don't love God enough, can I aspire to love God more? And that one I can say yes to. And one closely related to that. Do I want to love God more? Dallas Willard argues that that everyone will be in heaven that can possibly stand it, which is just an intriguing turn of phrase. I think it's one of those things that that if you want to be here, then chances are you will. And if you don't want to be here, well, then to rip off Common, the end result of such a statement becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. if we want to be in this place, if we want to be in the book of life, are we willing to take the steps necessary? Perhaps the easiest way to understand this is just relate it to food, because I really like food. And my lips were tingling. I can still feel the sensation. I'm telling you ask me and i will email you the recipe for this you just set it in this juices and sugar and spice and the just like the roast just disintegrates and you bring it out okay at any rate if you're hungry if you're hungry where do you go you don't go to a tile store if you're hungry you don't go to a repair shop if you're hungry You go to a restaurant or you go to a a grocery store and you buy the things or you choose the things that you want to eat. Everyone knows that. And maybe you don't know everything there is to know about cooking or everything there is to know about what will be on the menu, but you show up and you order something. And you get in the game and you eat. I think that's what it's like with faith. Faith. There's all sorts of reasons, all sorts of obstacles that we put in place. I don't know what to do, I don't know what to take, I don't know what to I don't. If we want to be in this place, are we willing to take the steps? Are we willing to do what is necessary? To have the confidence, not the arrogance, but the confidence that we are in the book of life. I can think of my first home, and I can think of the first home that Tanya and I built. I can think of the home that we have now, and I can think of my last home. It's described here. And in some ways, is a place that already exists. Because I see the residence of that structure before me today. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you. Thank you for an amazing picture of a structure, of a place you promised to create for those who are found in you, in your Son, being led by your Spirit. Father, find us faithful to do the things that we need to do to be confident that our name is in the book of life,